invite you to turn in your Bible with me tonight to Matthew chapter 5 and then 1 Peter chapter 3. As we're continuing our series in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, and looking tonight at, specifically at verse 9. I'll tell you what, why don't we start, if you don't mind, let's start in 1 Peter, uh, where Peter says uh, similar things, but, but puts it in a context here uh, that's helpful. 1 Peter chapter 3, let's start there. 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 8, and we'll read through verse 12. This is God's Word. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And then the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 5. And I'd like to begin reading again at verse 2. And he, that is Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Oh God, our Father, now we come believing that you speak to us still in this word and by your spirit, and we thank you, Lord, that uh, you also give us then ears to hear. I pray that this word, we would uh, see our Lord Jesus as the one who has made peace and who has freed us to speak peace and live in peace and pursue peace. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the people who seek peace and pursue peace. Uh, it is a, uh, an unusual thing to do in the world in which we live. We live, uh, as you know, in what's been called an outrage culture. Uh, we live where offense is uh, on every hand. Uh, where there's division and alienation, uh, where there's, uh, there's anger, there's brokenness. And Jesus calls us, his church, his followers, the citizens of his kingdom, to be uh, diametrically unique in the world, opposed to the principles of the world, to live in and pursue peace. Uh, you note, if you remember, as we've been going through the Beatitudes, we're noting that these are the distinguishing characteristics of kingdom citizens. Uh, these are things that God works in those who belong to him. These are those who give evidence. Uh, these are the things that give evidence uh, to those who uh, believe in him and trust in him and are living for uh, his kingdom and for his glory. And this uh, may be of, uh, they're, they're all obviously relevant. I think this one, it, we're going to find pressing in a particular way because we all have 
uh, circumstances of strife in our life. We all have relationships that are strained, maybe broken. We all have opportunities uh, to practice this kingdom characteristic. Uh, as we've been going through the Beatitudes, we've come to the final two, and the final two are unique. They're unique um, in, in that in, in these Beatitudes dealing with peacemaking and persecution, I think we've come, in a sense, to the, the proving ground, uh, the examination table, uh, the, the place where the, the true spiritual nature of your heart and my heart will be exposed. Uh, because you will find, if you ever actually try to live out these final two parables, um, you can only do so by the power of God within you. Uh, you will not be able to fake peacemaking and rejoicing in persecution. They both require a profound death to self and a choosing of Christ uh, and His glory, which can only be possible by the power of His Spirit. But those who do so, those who in the face of sin choose peace, and in the face of persecution choose joy, prove themselves in a unique way to be sons of God. They, they reveal their spiritual identity. And so Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I'd like to unpack this um, Beatitude by starting with the end, because I think it helps give insight into the characteristic, uh, the nature of the peace that Jesus is talking about. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. Uh, you see, what Jesus is reminding us here, first of all, is that God is the God of peace, profoundly the God of peace. Uh, scripture specifically says that in Romans 16, verse 20. He's the God who magnificently and marvelously has sought peace between the holy God and rebellious, wicked men, people who've sinned against Him. And because God is the God of peace, peacemaking then is the family characteristic. It's the family trait. Uh, we're told that God was uh, in Christ reconciling the world to himself. 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In Colossians 1, we're told that he made peace by the blood of the cross. That's what God has done. He's a peacemaking, peace-seeking, peace-loving God. Uh, Piper writes, uh, the whole history of redemption climaxing in the death and, re and resurrection of Jesus is God's strategy to bring about a lasting peace between rebellious man and himself. That's the Christmas story. This is why Christmas happened. Peace on earth with those whom God is pleased. And, and Jesus comes to accomplish that peace by pouring out his blood on the cross. And the Spirit now comes to, to um, bring that peace into the lives of sinners as he, as he makes sinners into new creations, new people with a new heart. 
and a new relationship with God, a new status before God, no longer objects of wrath, no longer at enmity with God, but we have now in Christ peace with God, and the Spirit comes to communicate that peace to us. As the children of God, the and the, and the uh, evidence of that Spirit's work and the evidence of the peace that has actually been accomplished between us and, and the holy God by Jesus Christ, well, there will be fruit from that, fruits of the Spirit. So there will be love and joy and peace. Uh, and so you can see why Jesus says that, that those who seek peace are sons of God. They do what their Father in heaven does in that sense. They have the same desire, the same longing. They seek peace and pursue it like their Father in heaven. Well, what is the nature then, uh, specifically, of that peacemaking? Well, it, it, it must be a gospel peacemaking. And um, I think there's some confusion in, in the culture in which we live for sure about what makes for peace, what brings about peace, and what peace actually is. Peace in the world in which we live is basically getting along, not much more than that, if we can just get along. And, and, and so um, the different vehicles are used for that. Um, appeasement is common. Appeasement where we just try to do the best we can, and we just try to get along. We, we maybe over uh, ignore the wrong, overlook the evil, just try to pacify the aggressor. Uh, Neville Chamberlain, of course, Prime Minister of England before World War II, is the poster child for appeasement. He flew to Germany in 1938 to make a deal with Hitler uh, for peace. Well, the deal included allowing Hitler to annex part of Czechoslovakia, just take it over, as a means to avoid war. And he, uh, as you know, came back to England waving a piece of paper and saying, um, we have achieved peace with honor. Well, Winston Churchill, his uh, greatest critic, uh, challenged him immediately and said to him, you were given the choice between war and dishonor. Uh, you chose dishonor and you will have war. And that's exactly uh, proved to be the, the case. Uh, appeasement is not biblical peacemaking. Jesus didn't appease, did he? Uh, you remember that famous Bible verse where Jesus said to the to Pharisees, can't we just get along? Never said it. Um, he, uh, he was at enmity with the Pharisees. They hated him. They slandered him. They opposed him in every way. They sought to kill him. Jesus did not appease them, and yet he was in their presence as a peacemaker. And he sought peace by speaking truth to them. He sought peace by pointing out their sin, by calling them to repentance, warning them of the judgment of God, and in that way, inviting them into the peace of God. And when they refused to enter into that peace, he wept over Jerusalem. Luke 19, verse 41, um, where we read that Jesus wept uh, over the city. Would that you had known on this day the things that make for peace. But they didn't know the things that make for peace. Because they refused to know Christ. So gospel peacemaking, you see, is, is not appeasement. 
Gospel peacemaking uh, doesn't pretend at peace. It doesn't ignore sin. It's much braver and bolder than that. It, it moves towards reconciliation in the context of real injustice and real sin, and, and that is the singular beauty of gospel peacemaking. Because obviously, uh, the great obstacle to peace is sin. Uh, the thing that breaks relationships is sin. Someone sins against us. They say something. They do something. And trust is violated. And we are, we are deeply hurt, maybe traumatized by betrayal or by evil. And we, and we sense that, that a wrong has been done, and it, and it needs somehow to be made right. We, at least we sense that, that there's going to be peace. How is this going to be fixed? How is it made right? If someone is stolen from me, well, the debt must be repaid. We sense that justice must be served if peace is going to be attained. But that's one of the confusions you see of our sinful world, uh, that, that justice uh, is, um, is necessary. Let me say it this way. One of the confusions is, is that, um, that we can pursue peace through justice. I think that's one of the confusions that we're seeing happening in our world today and, and, and entering into the church as well. I, I, uh, I read a, um, a website this past week for a Christian organization whose mission statement reads, we exist to empower the church to fight for justice. And my first thought was simply was, uh, where, where would that be in the Apostle Paul? Because I don't, I don't know where that would be. Now, you might think, um, well, what's wrong with empowering churches to fight for justice? And in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that. We should fight for justice. There's injustice all around us. I'm sure that this organization is well meant. I'm sure that it does uh, much good in alleviating suffering and fighting against injustice. Uh, but it's not the path to peace. It's not peacemaking. Uh, we, we should be clear that there's, there's actually even nothing inherently Christian about it. You don't need to be a son of God to fight for justice. Mahatma Gandhi was a magnificent a warrior for, against injustice in the modern era. Was not a child of God. Was not a Christian. You don't need the spirit of Christ to fight against injustice. You don't need, you don't need supernatural power from above. Uh, it's, not one of the, it's not one of the unique um, defining characteristics of the kingdom. It's maybe why you don't find it in the Beatitudes. It's maybe why you don't see it in the list of um, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Because you see, the gospel calls us to something, uh, to, to that, certainly we're called to, to, to justice and to fight injustice where we see it and not to participate in injustice. But the, you see, the gospel calls us to something more, something that is supernatural, something that is impossible without the Spirit of Christ and impossible without the gospel of Christ. He calls us to make peace, to make peace in a world of sin, in a world of injustice. You see, the peacemaking that distinguishes the children of God from the world is this wonderful ability by the gospel to engage sin and engage injustice in a way that makes for peace. And, and, it, and, and it's possible simply because the gospel is true. <clears throat> so here's, here's the problem with pursuing peace through justice. What if, 
justice is actually and truly unattainable. Imagine someone murdered your son. So how do you get justice for that? Can you ever be at peace with the person who murdered your son? Ever? How do you make that right? How do you fix a marriage where there's been an affair? How do you get justice for that kind of betrayal? What is justice when someone lies about you and slanders you and makes you lose your job or your reputation? How do you make that right? You see, we just recognize, well, we can't make those things right. You don't make them right. So how do you get peace? You see, friends, um, this is where gospel peacemaking is absolutely unlike anything else in the whole world. It accomplishes peace through gospel grace and gospel mercy and gospel love and gospel forgiveness. It doesn't ignore injustice. Let me just say it straight up. Peacemaking doesn't ignore justice. In fact, it's rooted in justice. A God did not make peace with man and with this world and does not bring peace by, by, simply by divine fiat. He, doesn't, he didn't just say, okay, peace. Um, he, he made peace by the blood of the cross. He made peace by the guilt atoning and wrath propitiating and law satisfying and ju- uh, right, the, righteous satisfy, the righteous sacrifice of his son on the cross. That's how he made peace. The peace of the gospel is founded, rooted in perfect divine justice as Jesus satisfies the demands of the law and takes all the injustices of sinners upon himself. And it is precisely, you see, because Jesus took it on himself and satisfied justice that we can be saved because, you see, we could not make it right. Because Jesus satisfied the justice of God, I don't have to. And neither do you. The justice that makes for peace is is a justice that I cannot pay. It's the justice that Jesus paid. And so the peace between God and man is founded, you see, upon the just sacrifice of Christ. And it flows then to sinners freely by grace. It flows to sinners freely by grace. Jesus died on the cross to empower the church to fight for grace, for peace, to experience grace and live in peace. And see, every person, every sinner then who has been freely forgiven of their sin, freely pardoned of their guilt by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, has both the obligation and the freedom to face sin and injustice with grace and forgiveness to those who sin against them. Think about the, the parable of the unmerciful servant, where a man is forgiven his great debt, and then he turns and he notices a brother over here who owes him a small debt, but it's a debt. And it would be injustice for this man not to pay the debt. So what is the man to do? What, you can't just let people not pay their debts. It, re, it rewards irresponsibility. What does Jesus say? 
If you've been forgiven so much and you refuse to forgive your brother this little thing, which seems like a, a, a significant thing. It is a significant thing. It's a real thing. But you refuse. It just shows you, you haven't understood. You haven't received the grace, the forgiveness, the pardon. You, you don't understand the gospel. You, you see, we're free, friends, because, because of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. We're free to say to the person who sins against us, and they can't make it right, and they can't make it up, and they can't fix it. You're free to say, I forgive you. And maybe with tears running down your face because it really hurts. And you've been truly wounded. And yet the gospel is true. And as you stand in the reality of the cross and then the reality of the grace that you've received in Jesus Christ, we get to forgive. We get to live in grace and we get to extend grace. We get to fight for peace. I read a, a great little story um, in an article by Geoff Thomas called Don't Hit Back. It's a, it's a true story about a Richard Weaver who was a, an evangelist in England in the mid-1800s. Let me just read it for you. It says, Richard Weaver was an evangelist whose most successful period was in the English Midlands around 1856. He was a coal miner and a part-time pugilist. He's a boxer. But he was converted as a young man. And, uh, and when he was first converted, his, his fellow uh, miners would torture him, just provoking him, uh, constantly trying to get him to fight. So, uh, for example, at the beginning of one of his shifts, uh, one of the uh, men tried to take his coal wagon away from him, but um, he was not strong enough to, to pull it away from, from uh, Richard. And uh, Richard relates the encounter thus. He says, the man said to him, I have a good mind to smack thee on the face. Well, I said, if that will do thee any good, thou canst do it. So he struck me on the face. And I turned the other cheek to him, and I said, you may strike again. And so he struck again and again until he had struck me five times. I turned my cheek for the sixth stroke, but he turned away cursing. I shouted after him, the Lord forgive thee, for I do, and the Lord save thee. That was on a Saturday, and when I went home from the coal pit, my wife saw my face swollen and asked what was the matter with it. I said, I've been fighting, and I've given a man a good thrashing. She burst out weeping and said, oh, Richard, what made you fight? Then I told her all about it, and she thanked the Lord that I had not struck back, but the Lord had struck, and his blows have much more effect than men's. Monday came, and I went on my way to the coal pit. Tom was the first man I saw. I said, good morning, but I got no reply. He went down first. When I got down, I was surprised to see him sitting on the wagon road waiting for, waiting for me. When I came to him, he burst into tears and said, Richard, will you forgive me for striking you? I have forgiven thee, I said, and ask, ask God to forgive thee. The Lord will bless thee. I gave him my hand, and we went each to his work. After a time, I heard someone coming towards me sobbing as he came. It was Tom. He said he could not rest until he felt sure he was forgiven. He told me he had sent his wife to our home to ask forgiveness on the Sunday, but I was out. Oh, Richard, he said, do you really forgive me? I said, yes, the Lord bless thee. We got down on our knees, and he who was wounded was graciously pleased to hear our cry and to heal. And Tom went back to his work rejoicing. Blessed are the peacemakers. We get to choose 
to suffer wrong because we're fighting for peace. We get to choose to give away our rights, to let go the injustice, the wrong. We get to choose to do that. Doesn't mean that there aren't injustices that need to be dealt with even on a legal basis. Doesn't mean we just have to be a punching bag for people. Um, it does mean, you see, though, we, we have a choice. We, we in, in, by the power of Jesus Christ, we get to be about something bigger than our rights or our hurts. We get to be about the cause of Christ. And we get to invite people to the grace that we've experienced, the peace that we've found in Christ. It doesn't mean it will always be successful. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, that be at peace with all men as far as it depends upon you. And, and that's our goal, that as far as it depends on us, that we, we want to be ambassadors of peace. Don't let the rupture of the relationship be your fault. But you see, gospel peacemaking means that you and I are free to reach out to those who've, who've hurt us and wounded us and sinned against us with kindness, with grace, with an invitation to peace. And for so many of the times, we can leave the justice to God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and, 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 and it will be repaid. Every sin committed against you will either be paid on the back of Jesus Christ because the person who sinned against you is a brother or sister in Christ, or it will be paid in the person themselves as they're sentenced to judgment. There will be no injustice before God. And we are free in Christ to invite other people to grace and peace, not ignoring the wrong in the sense that we invite people to repent, Right? That's the path of peace, to invite people to repent. Not, not, not demanding repayment, but, but inviting them to a broken heart before God with us so that we with them can enjoy the peace that happens there. And we can join them there as debtors, eternal debtors to grace. I know there's, um, as I thought about preaching this sermon, there's so many circumstances and so, there's so much chaos confusion when it comes to relationships and sin. There's so much hurt involved. There are, there are various layers, and, um, and, and, and I don't want in any way to make this, this seem easy, to seem cheap, or in, in any way to cheapen the reality of the experiences that you're, that you're having. But, but, but let me just say this. Wherever and whatever the context, you are free to be a peacemaker as much as you are able. You are free to live in grace and extend grace and call people to grace. And, and maybe let me close with a recommendation. Yesterday I, uh, I was driving home from visiting dad and I took the country roads uh, back home. I came across a very small cemetery. I, I, um, I hadn't seen it there before. I, and so, and I, I like cemeteries. I, I, uh, I stopped and I took a short walk through the tombstones. And I was thinking about this sermon, and I just realized that most of the people that were buried there died before I was born, and most of them died before they were my age. Life is very short, friends. It's very short. 
And it struck me that a cemetery would be a very good place to work through unreconciled relationships in your life. Take your unreconciled relationships with you and take a walk through a cemetery. There's many around. And just recognize every tombstone you look at, that every person buried there experienced the same sort of life you and I experienced. They experienced sin and pain and hurt, turmoil, strife. They, were, they sinned against other people and they were victims of other sins. And now they're quiet. And in light of eternity, what really was it all? Take your unreconciled relationship into the light of eternity and into the light of the gospel. Recognize that, friends, we are wisps of smoke. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And we live with people who are wisps of smoke. We all must die and then face the judgment. And I don't want to stand before the presence of God clinging tightly to the wrongs that have been committed against me, no matter how painful they may have been. I want to let them go, trusting that justice will be served, but praying that grace will be served as well. And then praying that God would help me somehow to know how to reach out, how to, to find a way to make peace so that a relationship can be restored and reconciled. And I don't know how that all works. I don't know the whole path. I just, I just know that there, there could be a first step. When I got back home and into my office, I sat down and I wrote an email. A first step in a path of peace. I want to be a peacemaker. I get to be a peacemaker. And so do you. Jesus died on a cross to give us peace and to make us peacemakers as the children of God. Let's follow him. Amen. <coughs> oh, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you, you made peace through your own blood shed on a cross. And I thank you that in the shadow of that cross, we can experience peace and we can extend peace and grace and pursue peace. Lord Jesus, you know the lives represented here. You know, Lord, every, every difficult, heart-wrenching situation and circumstance and relationship you know, Lord, the times that we, we just don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. Our emotions um, are real. The wrong is real. The brokenness seems beyond repair. But Jesus, I thank you that we can pursue peace. We can leave the results to you. But we can be children of God, sons and daughters of God, as we put aside a grudge, lay aside the hurt, because we're pursuing something deeper and, and more beautiful and more God-glorifying, pursuing peace, gospel peace, 
And Lord, I pray that we would be patient, that we would be persistent, that we would be humble and trust in you. Give us wisdom. But oh God, I pray that even tonight, steps would be taken, that this week phone calls would be made, there would be messages sent, there would be conversations held. As we maybe just extend a cup of cold water and we start there, maybe just a kindness, a thank you. And we let you lead us and find, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for us. Oh, God in heaven, I thank you that we are, we're free to do this wonderful gospel work, this, this work that magnifies you, the God of peace. And we give you the praise as you transform us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond by singing for the peace of God to be upon us, a peace that transforms us. May the peace of God our Heavenly Father. Let's stand together and sing.